Welcome to the people I know. Philosophical podcast with and about the diverse people I've met over the years as an African-American female thinker, dancer, um, (laughs) sunlight lover. Today's guest is author, mother, and avid reader, Mallory Reed. Enjoy. Um, Well, hello. My name is Mallory Reed. I am a uh, Black Floridian writer. I am a mother a wife, um, and just overall a human trying to figure out what the hell all of this is about. And by all of this, I mean adulthood. So that is who I am. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you write for any specific publications or are you freelance? How does this work? Um, well, oh, I get, I, I guess I should uh, plug my degrees since, you know, I paid so much for one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't write for any specific publication. I have uh, freelance before. I've written um, for a few different places when I was in graduate school. Um, I had some journalistic pieces picked up for NPR, the New York Amsterdam News, um, WNYC. Um, I have some nonfiction pieces in Scalawag Magazine and Aunt Chloe, which is um, a writing journal out of Spelman College. Uh, But I have a bachelor's in English from the University of Florida and a master's in journalism from the Craig Newmark School of Journalism at CUNY, which is the City University of New York. So I'm just a writer, just a writer person. That's, you know, what I do. <laughs> so I am currently working on fiction writing. That's my, that's my thing right now. It's my first, my first love, my passion. I never, I always read, um, read fiction. Like that was always my thing. I love reading fiction. I read nonfiction as well, but I love reading fiction, but I never felt like I could just like do it. I mean, when your favorites are, you know, like Toni Morrison and James Baldwin, you're like, this is beautiful, but I don't know if I can do this. And that's not to say that I, I can do that. I can do my own version of, you know, that whatever that looks like. So I'm working on fiction right now, um, working on some different short stories. And I also am working on a full length uh, manuscript for a novel. Don't hold me to when that will be a thing. You've answered enough is, for me because I was yeah, going to ask. It's, Thank it's you. In progress. <laughs> in progress so we're working on that um so i have you know submitted some of my fiction pieces to like different contests and fellowships so i've been named as an honorable mention twice in a couple of different fellowships so that's been really cool for me so that's what i'm working on so yeah awesome oh goodness gracious i i have to treat treat you like uh like my musician friend and and ask like okay best book <laughs> what are you reading now you're you're always reading like five I'm books literally always reading literally always reading so <laughs> yeah yeah we can yeah. come back around to that um how did we meet did we meet at a jazz brunch no we didn't <laughs> we met because when um when my husband and I were dating, we were dating and we were going to move in together for the first time. And so we were looking at apartments and that's where we met. That's where we met. So we came, we came to the apartment complex and we, we always have this thing. It's it's like a running joke with us. We're like, we'll go to an apartment complex and there will always be at least like one black person, like in the office and we'll like vibe with them. We're like, Oh man, like they're great. 
and then we'll like move it and then they disappear and we're like well I guess they were like our guardian angel <laughs> to get us into the complex <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know how soon after you all moved I left that job but <laughs> like epic fashion too I I walked in and said I quit but anyhow <laughs> I don't know how soon after that was. I don't know but it, that was the, that was the start of like the black oh, you're right. apartment complexes it's happened like literally every even the apartment we're in now oh, we moved in God. during COVID and so we didn't like get to like talk or deal with anybody but there was a black guy who we like we found out he was black and we're like oh, okay cool and he's the one that like ushered us in and we haven't seen <laughs> I did the vetting. My work is done here. Right. My work was like, done. We've gotten you in. Like we're we're free to go on about our lives now. So that's where we met. Our the first apartment that my uh, yes. then boyfriend and I moved into. That's where we met. Yes. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so <laughs> leads us. Directly to my my first official question is uh, why and when is being black important for you? Oh man, um, <laughs> being black um, is important to me. Twenty four seven, three sixty five. Um, one, it is blatantly obvious. Um, I can never not be black, so it is. But I don't I don't take that as you know like a negative type of thing. It's very important to me. It's chief in my work. It's why I describe myself as a Black Floridian writer. I'm not just a Floridian writer. I'm not just a writer. I'm a Black Floridian writer because it instructs everything that I do. It instructs how I view the world, how I want people to view me. It it instructs what's important to me. Um, like I was listening to somebody speak the other day. I can't remember who it was. I wish that I could, hopefully it will come back to me, but they were saying that essentially that, you know, their work can garner accolades and people can champion it and all of that. And that's great. But when black people support it and love it and champion it, that's a different type of feeling. Pardon me. There's a different type of connection there. Um, and so those are the types of things that, you know, I think about, and now, especially like being a parent, um, mm. being black is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, because, you know, when I was a kid, blackness was not, it was not something that was ever looked down upon in the circles that I was in and the way that I was raised, but I can't, in my adulthood, I've struggled to find that it was championed either. Mm. And that's really, really important. Like, yeah, it's cool to not be anti-Black. Like, you shouldn't be that. That's the least, it's, you know, <laughs> the least you do. don't be anti-Black. But you really have to make sure that you're also championing, championing it and not doing the types of things that sometimes happen with, like, you know, the whole circles of, like, elitism and, like, colorism and all of those sorts of, like, nasty, mm -hmm. sticky places that we get into, um, within you know within blackness so the short answer is blackness is always important to me everywhere always it's always important when is it less relevant to the situation to the space you're in to what you're doing 
That's a good question. I think that for less relevant would probably be a good way to frame it because again, it's always present with me. It's always important, excuse me. Um, and I want to try to have a lot of nuance when I say this because it's also Mercury retrograde. So I'm not gonna get caught up by the universe and have some, you know, they're like yeah. Mercury retrograde is, you know, dealing with communications that not going to get me. So I'm going to have a lot of nuance <laughs> <laughs> when I say this, but you know, yeah. Blackness is always important, but it's not, it, I think because of the fact that it's, it's, it's just me, it's not a cloak that I need to put on, you know, like I think sometimes when you can when you can feel like maybe insecure about your standing or yourself or sometimes maybe when like I think of high school and like middle school when I'm around because the schools that I went to I did a magnet program in high school so it was very very you know diverse full of different people from all different um, places um, and for middle school I went to a black middle school for two years and then that's a story in and of itself. But my mother was not satisfied, not necessarily because it was black. Um, that might've been part of it, but you know, sorry, mom, if you watch this, sorry. Um, but, <laughs> but I switched to basically a white middle school for eighth grade. Um, so I think about those times and I think of just kind of those feelings of insecurity and just not really having, really not having a sense of self, like my, that, whole sense wasn't developed so because of that I was very insecure when I was moving through the world so blackness was like a cloak that I had to put on like mm. there was mm. a period of time where I like kind of played with all these different like black identities like mm. oh I'm gonna, say, I'm, I'm gonna say nigga because you know I'm black and I mm -hmm. want everybody to know that I'm black and then being like no you can't say like the respectable no you can't say that because you know we are kings and queens and you can't say those things. Right, like, we don't put ourselves playing, down. We don't use that language. Right, just playing with all these different identities. But, yeah. you know, now mercifully as an adult, the sense of self is developed now. So I am comfortable in who I am. And I, it's not perfect. Like I'm still working, you know, still working on it, obviously. But mm -hmm. because I'm comfortable with who I am, it, my blackness is not a cloak that I need to put on. Like I don't need no. to... Like you don't you don't have to know that I'm black or you don't have to know how black I am. Like we don't have uh -huh. to do that. Like even even in you know like code switching. Like I've noticed it's not something I've consciously done, but I've noticed like the past year really like in writing, you know, like Facebook statuses and things like that. I speak more in African American vernacular, which is how I speak in general. Like it's just part of my language. Like yes, I yeah. speak proper English but to me like the the mix of my English is a mix of all different types of things yes and you know black vernacular is one of them so I've started writing my statuses that way because that's how I speak so if I mm -hmm. feel like framing my sentence that way like I'm not so much like are people gonna know that like I'm smart and mm. you know, doing this purposefully like if you don't know by now that I'm a writer and that I'm purposely <laughs> utilizing the language this way then yes that's on yes. you <laughs> yes yes so yeah yes. you just keep the books there right they're just yeah like direct you, that question to right that like, we, we got it <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, there are definitely times where 
it's it, it's not as relevant. You know, it doesn't have to be like the main piece of whatever because it's just it's there. It's it's my skin. It's my essence. It's everything. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be like I'm black. I'm black. I'm bl-. like we don't. It doesn't have to be that. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was walking through a store the other day and, um, you know, having so many of these conversations, um, of course, coming up, I've always been aware of Black History Month, but like, you know, I feel like on and off years, like I'll do more research than others. I'll, I'll celebrate it more right. some years than others. That's just, just like some years people yeah. celebrate Christmas more than others. Like, that's just what it is. It <laughs> yeah, it happens. And so I've been thinking more about, you know, my black identity or just black identity. And so I was walking around a store the other day and um, because I got the same feeling that I, I generally get when I'm in a store, when I'm in a space of I'm the only black person in there, I was thinking, I was like, my blackness is like the, one of the few things about my existence that I just never forget about. <laughs> I've forgotten that I have tattoos. I've forgotten like what right. is going on with my hair or right. like if my outfit like forget that I've got on like pink tie-dyed pants yeah but like I never ever forget that my skin is brown (laughs) literally (laughs) never (laughs) I mean maybe maybe I'll have a moment just like oh yeah oh yeah right right but like (laughs) right yeah it's like oh no it's there like right yeah So as far as, so moving forward into um, to thinking critically about these things, um, and you could actually do critical thinking or philosophy, that's the, the general thing, but um, the broad question is why and when is critical thinking or philosophy relevant um, for your life, personally mm-hmm. or professionally, but I do have specific questions or specific topics that I hope you can touch on from what I, from your writings, um, especially <laughs> some commentary that was written under your NOLA smoking, non-smoking article mm-hmm. um, that went into this whole world that was longer than the actual article you wrote. And it was, I thought, demonstrated an interesting level of thinking critically. Yes. Um, and then also, um, there is no order to these, but uh, suicide prevention and awareness and then identity, which you've spoken of already. And I also have Iggy Azalea identity. Just so if you could just speak about critical thinking for a while and or philosophy, I'm just here to listen. Sure, <laughs> sure. some things. How is it relevant for your life? Sure. Um, so I, I actually took a philosophy course. Um, I was an international baccalaureate student in high school. So I took a philosophy course called theory of knowledge um, my senior year of high school. So it was I still remember, I remember various like parts of it. Um, and I can't remember like all of, you know, all the different philosophers. I have long since forgotten that. So different things have like, they're kind of like yeah. in my brain somewhere, but I've long forgotten, you know, yeah. all of the <laughs> philosophers. Yes. I do remember reading Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I don't know if this is something that everybody has to read, but let me tell you. Mr. Rogers, if you ever see this, that was my teacher's name. If you ever see this, I'm sorry. I hated that book. Okay. Hated it. <laughs> I don't know if I would hate it today, but I hated that book. <laughs> so- Zen and the art, the art of motorcycle maintenance. <laughs> I was like, is there something that I am missing that I just like don't get? I was also like 17. I don't Oh gosh, that sounds like a great example of like know your audience. <laughs> 
it was not for us okay like I don't know anybody that actually like oh my god this is great and I'm the one who's usually like oh my god this is great and everybody else is like I don't want to read I just want to go do other stuff but I was like yeah this is not it so that's an aside Um, (laughs) but critical thinking it's so funny because I always go on personal like offline rants about critical thinking because it is just so absent like nobody critically thinks about anything and it just and I've gotten to a place in my I've gotten to a place in my development where I have learned to accept that Uh, I struggled with accepting that when I was younger because Amen. Long story, but all I felt like I had in my youth was my intellect. Nobody mm. ever made me feel like pretty or valuable, really, for any other reason other than what was inside of my head. So I very much was like, I'm smart. I critically think. I think about everything. Like that was that was my thing. Um, so I have always been a very like critical thinker. I really like to turn things over in my brain. I like to try to evaluate them from different perspectives, different viewpoints. And I've gotten a lot better in adulthood at just understanding that people are approaching things from so many different wild places and perspectives. And in the work that I have done personally to really just work on like healing and becoming a whole human being, uh, I understand that, you know, people are also really struggling because they have had all of these different traumas and things happen to them when they were children. And so everybody's inner child, you know, is a thing. So most people are responding at things from their inner child level. So they're not even like critical thinking, you know, that's out of the window. Like they're not. Yeah. Um, This is the automatic. This is the autopilot. Exactly. Absolutely on autopilot. Just, you know, and understanding that and learning that has really just helped me step back and to just, you know, like I used to, when the internet still felt like a kind of cool neighborhood to be in, um, you know, mm. I would like be on the internet and just be like, oh my God, like reading the comments, which we all know by now. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't read the comments. <laughs> but, you know, back then you're just like, well, I'm just going to go peruse and yeah. just be like, how can, how can people think this way? How can yeah. you do this? Yeah. Not yeah. Even- like it's just it's not even worth it it's like truly um so critical thinking is just incredibly valuable because just like you you just need a little of it like just a little Mm. will go such a long way you know Mm. but I think critical thinking also requires people to approach things from a more fact-based approach Mm. nobody wants everybody is again it's that inner child stuff it's like this is my opinion this is Mm -hmm. how i feel and that's Mm -hmm. like doesn't matter whether it you know first of all like we're not even gonna get into opinions and the correctness of we're not (laughs) (laughs) but you know like yes People just, they just, they refuse, like somebody can give you legitimate facts and you're just like, well, no, I don't care because this, this is my long held belief system. And this is all that they have. And so they're just like, I can't, it's, it's essentially like a refusal to critically think because Mm -hmm. their belief system is going to be threatened and people are just 
terrified. And I understand, I get it because, you know, when you get into that place where you were doing that kind of work to challenge like these belief systems and things that you were given, mm-hmm. there's nothing on the other side. Mm-hmm. There's beauty in that because, well, now you get to erect something. But for many people, that feels like death. So they're just yeah. like, I, they're like, absolutely not. Like, right. this is the belief system. This is what I'm sticking with. This is what it is. Um, yeah. But I just feel very blessed, lucky, and grateful that I have just never really been that kind of person and just have always been so wrapped up and really kind of thinking and evaluating things. I don't know why I was gifted that type of operational system, but yeah, I'm very, very grateful for it. So. Yeah. So you wrote this article on um, uh, bars in, in New Orleans, how they were maybe going to be introducing possibly uh, non-smoking a, a ban on smoking and bars. Um, this is a few years old, you know, many cities, this is this is a rolling thing happening across the United States as, yes. So, so, okay, great. Just give us some information. Awesome. And, and, and in the comments and, and you briefly hinted at a person who was there not protesting this thing, but she was upset about this happening as well. But particularly in the comments to this article, um, some people were, were presenting a lot of information, essentially supporting they're advocating for their right to smoke at a bar. Um, and so um, when I'm saying connecting the dots, so there's that. And then when I hear you, you, you explain just perfectly about how when we have these core sets of beliefs and then suddenly don't get to believe them, it does feel like death. Absolutely. It's just like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Exactly. You know, and that, that's why my last big question here is about existential dilemmas. Like this happens. That is part of life. That is part of existence. We're going to have these dilemmas, a challenge to our existence. And right. so, yes, many people are going to resist this. Um, but something that um, <clears throat> we learn something from every relationship, right? So like most hated ex, this is what I learned from that relationship, that if we take something away from somebody and don't replace it with something else, then we are um, not helping that person. So <laughs> we're expecting them to fail. They are going to fail. So what's beautiful is that we can replace those false beliefs with facts. Right. That's, where, that, that's a great place to start. <laughs> So, so I'm reading through these comments and getting very irate underneath your article. And I'm just like, what is wrong with people? Why are these people? No, let me take a step back. Let me think about their position. If I'm a smoker and I really, really want to smoke at a bar, why the hell should I care? If I feel like this is being stolen from me, um, my right to smoke at a bar, sorry, moving toys for my dog um, that he doesn't want. Um, If if this is being taken from me, Right. Um, what could I replace that with? <laughs> oh, the fact that I'm not polluting anymore, that my activity, my action is affecting other people. Right. Like, that's just a place to start. So <laughs> all of that is to say, I'm, 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 this is, yes, yes, we need to think more critically, please. Yes. This is, anyway. And I, and I think it also, you know, it also would require Ubuntu, which is something that I learned when I worked um, with City Year uh, Miami. And it means I am because you are. So they would like to say that a lot. Um, and I so- because you are. Yes. And so it just talks about the interconnectedness of humanity. And I think 
the reason why a lot of, you know, thinking, because I read the, you know, I read the comment on that article, like after I wrote it, because I was like, okay. I was also literally like 27 and an intern. So I was like, okay. Like I was just telling you that this was going to happen. Like it doesn't have to be like that. <laughs> but, um, but I had, I was not on my journey of unlearning and stuff yet. I was not there yet. So I, um, I have long taken, listen, I'm a Cancerian type. I take everything personally. Uh. <laughs> so I'm working on it, working on it. It is a journey. Uh, so I definitely was like, why are you leaving this comment? Like, I'm just doing my job. You know, I didn't respond, but I was just like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it wasn't even yeah. on um, But like you said, like, people are feeling like, oh, okay, well, this, this is my right. Like, this is the thing that I always do. And now you're taking it from me. And it would require for people, like, people would have to have that mindset. I am because you are. Like, everything is connected. Like, okay, well, I can't smoke in the bar anymore, but I'm not polluting the air for somebody that maybe doesn't want to smoke. Or I'm not throwing my cigarette mm -hmm. butt on the ground so it can go into, you know, the, mm -hmm. the drains or whatever. Mm -hmm. But people just, and that's also very much, that's also very much um, an American uh, problem as well, mm. how individualistic everything is. And that's what we're taught, even if mm -hmm. people don't imagine that we're, like you can't escape the container that you're in. Like, you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I'm black. So when we think of like, Amer that's a whole can of worms and just right. a lot of identity issues there. But I'm still American, so I'm still raised in the container of America. And individualism is very much a part of our fabric. Like, right, your shit together, and like, whatever. Like everybody else will figure it out. And you know, yeah, black people and most other, I'm sure, communities of color are more integrated. But we're still American, so you're still going to struggle yeah. with these, like, just thinking more so in this individual type of realm rather than being like, well, literally everything is connected. Like yeah. my behavior is connected to that person. It's connected mm -hmm. to this tree. It's connected to the ground, like all of those sorts of things. And mm -hmm. you know, it can sound very like woo woo and stuff like that, but I mean, it's, it's true. Like yeah. it's true. we're all here together. Like, we're not, <laughs> you know, like I'm an individual little pod and nothing affects anybody else. It's just not right. like that. So it's just not like, yeah, that. but people don't, People are not thinking in that, you know, they're not thinking in that frame of mind. So yeah, it, it makes it a little easier to understand where people are coming from. It's still maddening, but it makes mm -hmm. it a little easier to just be like, well, you know, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. that you were so offended that we're trying to take your smoking right away from you. I'm sorry, you yeah. could literally step outside, but. <laughs> um. So moving away from that, and thank you for allowing me for, thank you. Um, so you also uh, have written on um, suicide prevention, on awareness. Mm -hmm. Is that something, I, I don't wanna ask such heavy questions, but here we are. Um, is that something that you, a particular care and interest of yours? And my other question is, now that you have children, how do you think of this topic? Um, it is like by, and by no means, I don't want anybody 
watching this to think that I am like some sort of activist or any, I'm mm. not taking that position because I'm not doing the work to consider mm. myself any sort of anything. I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just personally. Um, yeah, so very much on like a personal, you know, personal level. Um, it is something that does, it does, it's very important to me, especially now having children, it hits different. Um, that story that I wrote, um, I was in, I was in New York, I was in grad school and it was literally like a line in a paper, like mm-hmm. a 14 year old died by suicide toss herself off a building and I'm just Mm. like how worthless could you feel to 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 do that you know like that's Mm -hmm. that's nothing but feeling like there is nothing here for me that that's what that that is what that action Mm -hmm. you know that's what happens and so now like and I couldn't stop I wanted to just write some because I just couldn't stop and I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that it was just a line in a paper like that's it you know like oh no big deal and I'm just like mm-hmm. what <laughs> you mm-hmm. know so uh and that's why I wanted to you know write that piece interns usually don't have a ton of you don't have a ton of space to do a lot when you're interning but you know mm-hmm. at that at that internship um shout out to New York Amsterdam News um old black newspaper in Harlem um but you I had the space to actually be able to you know like write some stories and conceive of some different things mm-hmm. um and now having children it is incredibly important to me because there are so many stories of you know children who are bullied and children you know nine ten you know just just deciding that or not even deciding that but feeling that there's nothing there for them and I Mm -hmm. just I can't imagine the weight of that at such a young age like nobody should feel in an ideal space like nobody should feel that there's just nothing left like mm-hmm. life has been that hard. Life has beat you up that much. People have been that shitty to you that there's mm-hmm. just nothing left. Um, but to be that young and to feel that way just really, yeah. really hits differently. Um, and so on, you know, on a personal level, I just know, you know, like I remember what it was like to be a kid and be a teenager and to just feel, to just feel, you know, like I, I never attempted or anything like that but I definitely Mm. felt worthless at times Mm. I definitely just felt like there is no point in my existence like what's the point you know Um, and so it's just very important to me as a parent Mm -hmm. just really (sighs) love is not the answer for everything but it's still probably the most instructive, powerful thing that we might have. So Mm -hmm. very, very important to me to just love my children, love them boldly, love them loudly, love them all the time, love them without condition um, and tell them that. Like Mm -hmm. not just show them through like, well, I bought you clothes for school or I fed you. Those are expressions of love, right? but people need to hear, I love you. I love you just the way that you are. 
Mm-hmm. I love you all the time. Like that's the type of, you're beautiful. Like you're important. Mm-hmm. Like that's the type of stuff that they need to hear. So it's very, very important to me to give them those messages and to just really communicate with them because people treat children as though they're not people. Children are treated like some sort of like weird other thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, they're just, they're children. Oh, they're just crying because they're crying or they're just- Hello, being- tiny human. <laughs> yeah, like they're, they're a tiny human. Like, so treat them as such, you know? Yeah. So it's just, it's really important for me to just really like communicate with them, not at them, yeah. with them. Like, yeah. how are you feeling? What is going on? Yeah. What can we do to make this better? Like give them a real yeah. voice. Yeah. Not a performative voice. Like, oh, we let you, you know, say what you want to say, but no, like a real voice. Like, talk to me. Like, I am your safe space. Yeah. One one of the, I don't. It's hard to say. One of my favorite parts of that article, um, but one of the definitely most interesting and most impactful pieces in there. And I'm not sure if it was coming from you or um, else or where, but there brought up that in her suicide in and of itself is sad and tragic and unfortunate and we don't want that to happen and we need to in addition to trying to prevent suicides and, and those feelings of nothingness we need to check on these people's friends and if we're talking about children we need to check on children because they are affected by the world and we need to see listen to what they are experiencing even if it makes less sense to us because you know duh, they're they're on like human level 2.0 and we're on like you know 50 but exactly. they're still experiencing the world and they are still being affected uh right. they are feeling the effects of something so tragic and unfortunate and just world stopping right. um and that is a, a huge piece of um I think, you know, bringing this back around of, of, of critical thinking that, you know, in order to be better people, to be better humans, to be better parent, um, I think that is love, you know, just the acknowledgement of, um, of others' experiences. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to sound preachy. I am not a preacher either, okay? However, <laughs> uh, I, I Adults are afraid to feel and children Mm. make them feel. And because you learn life, you get to adulthood and life has shown you its hand and you're just like, I'm just trying to hang on however I can. And so part Mm -hmm. of that, part of what people think it is, is just shutting down like anything that can threaten that. When really feeling is what is going to like take you to that next level. But I completely understand how for some people, that's just, they're like, I don't have time for that. I can't, like, I don't have the space for that. I'm not safe to do that. Like, I just, I can't. So kids make you feel things. And so I think that is why so many of us in becoming an adult and talking to so many different, like, even people I'm not super close to, but like acquaintances, like different friends or whatever. And just all of the stories that we have about like growing up and like the way that we're treated and like, parents and all that sort of thing and it's just like yeah well the easiest thing for parents to do is just to shut it down 
Mm. So instead of talking with your kids and like really getting to like what's bothering them, you just, you shut it out. You shut it out and you're like, I just, it's almost as if like the adults themselves just don't have the space, the, the capacity to deal with it. And so yeah. they're just like, I, I can't like, are you safe? Are you in school? Mm-hmm. You know, are you fed? Like mm-hmm. that's all I have space for. Um, and that's how, you know, that's how things can get missed. You know, what is, there's like a, a meme or something I saw the other day where it was like, have you checked on your strong friend today so they can lie to you? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it just, mm-hmm. people are just going through their own shit. And it's just so easy to just like, you know, so imagine with a kid, you're like, are you yeah. all right? They're like, yeah, I'm okay. Right. You're like, yeah. Okay. They're in school, they're fed, they're home, so they're okay. And then something happens and you're like, How did I miss it? Where did this come from? Right. It's like it was there, but you know, you have to be willing to like people can't deal with what what triggers are brought up when you know, like your kid is Mm -hmm. bringing something you is triggering you. You have to have a certain level of awareness to be able to say. This is being, this is triggering to me. And mm-hmm. so I have to do X, Y, and Z. For most people, it's, it's like threatening. They're just like, ooh, nope, not mm-hmm. dealing with it. So yeah, but I, I want to ask about existential dilemmas now because that seems like a huge, when we're triggered, and thank goodness we are like socially, culturally aware of what this means now, even though people are, oh, I'm triggered now. Right. Um, but that, that can be, and often nowadays is um, uh, pointing to these, these, these dilemmas, these crises that are coming up. Like, well, if I don't get to do this, as I always have, what am I supposed to do with my life? My, my entire personality or a big chunk of my personality might be um, built on that, that kind of stuff. So um, <laughs> usually my question is what advice do you have for people who are feeling this, for people who are having existential crises and dilemmas? Um, how, yeah, what advice do you have? How do you think um, your experiences can speak to people dealing with that. Hmm. Um. <laughs> and, and just uh, sticking with adults for now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like kids, y'all are in a whole nother ballgame. It was not like this when I was a kid. So- right. Oh my God. So that's what they don't understand. I'm like, there was no social media. I didn't have to worry about, oh, everybody's tweeting about some stupid shit that I said. <laughs> no, praise God, because listen. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I love you so much love for you. Um, and I am so thankful that I do not have children. I don't know how y'all are doing it right now. <laughs> this is hard enough to deal with just me. Like, what? <laughs> Listen, it's I get a, to resist as much as possible. <laughs> I, I definitely, um, I definitely feel as though we were 
selected to break some generational cycles and some generational curses and people you will hear people say that but that shit is real and it is mm. hard it is very mm. really hard very rewarding very hard um so yeah it's hard it's hard i see sometimes like i'll see like younger cousins like joke uh, you know about like having kids i'm like listen you just you, you hang on okay just hang on because this shit ain't no joke. So just, you know, mm. hang tight. You got plenty of time. Just don't get caught up in that. Just relax. Um, yeah, yeah. But advice to people um, struggling with kind of existential crises. Um, I feel like my advice would be much the same. Like, just, just, just hang on. Just hang on. Like, I remember I I prayed. Also, be careful what you pray for. Um, <laughs> I prayed. <laughs> I prayed some time back uh, for patience because I was like, no, I yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so <laughs> so yeah, I just interject because you're, we're black folks. I prayed to have thirst one time. Lord knows. So I hear you. I listen. God will show you. You gotta be careful what comes off of the tongue. Okay. You just, you gotta be careful. So I just, I prayed for patience. I was just like, I'm just Mm. like, I just, I just need patience. God, just let me be patient. Mm. So, um, (laughs) so I had this idea, right. You know, and this ties into like identity and all these things too. So I have always been a writer. I truly feel that it's what I've been put on earth to do. Um, the way it, it would it would be akin to like a mathematician, like the way math like exists in their brain and doesn't exist in your brain. That's how like words and things exist in my brain, the way that they come together. Like, I'm like, mm. okay, God said, this is what your job is. So, okay, that's cool. So I have always been a writer. I've always been re- I've been reading since apparently like two. That's what I'm told. But my son also like reads. So I'm like, okay. Um, so that's always been my thing. But people like added on to that by being like, oh my God, like you're a writer and you're going to write a book. And, you know, when are you going to write the next great American novel? I've heard that question so many times. And so again, people are on autopilot. So they think that they are just harmlessly, you know, like saying things or whatever. So all of this is like built up in my identity. So now I'm like, well, I'm a writer. Like I have to do what writers do. So when I was in my early twenties, I just became obsessed with this idea of what writing looked like, like, and not the work of it, but literally just like the accolades of it. What you, what your what your damn like house looks like like oh I need like a loft and it has to be like this and it has to sound mm-hmm. like this which is not necessarily a bad thing but when your ego is in play it's it's all it's it's raggedy um so I became obsessed with the idea of New York I was just like I'm a writer I have to go to New York I have mm-hmm. to like it's just like this pilgrimage that must be had every writer I've ever read is in New York and just New York it just became like this this whole thing I used to always say all writers end up in New York that was like the thing I always said interesting 
Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm gonna go to grad school because I'm not doing anything. And this is when we were in South Florida because we were there when we moved into the complex, we were there. And then when the year was up, we left because I was like, I have to go, I have to leave. I'm not doing anything with my life. I'm just yeah. working this job and I'm just, I'm not fulfilling myself. Like I'm not, I'm not doing any of it. Yeah. So instead of like sitting with myself, this was a moment absent of critical thinking instead of like mm. sitting with myself and really, and I, and I couldn't have at the time, like I was not centered. I was very much like running on fumes of ego. Like just, it was complete ego. Just like my life does not look the way that it's supposed to look. I mm. was like, what, 20, 25, maybe 26 ago, which now I'm just like, now I'm like 33. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. But then I was like, yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. It, it should look this way. It should feel this way. So I became obsessed with that. I was just like, I have to get to New York. I have to. So I like applied to grad school for journalism, which believe it or not, is not my passion. Um, it's great. It's a great skill to have, but it's not my passion. And it mm -hmm. cost me. And we'll get into that. Um, mm -hmm. So... I was like, I'm going to apply to grad school, skipped over an MFA program. You know why? Because it would require work. Mm -hmm. And I was not ready to do the work because the work was frightening. I was like, mm -hmm. well, journalism is, you know, it's, it's nonfiction. It's just like, I can write like the mechanics of writing. Like that's what I've been doing in school, like writing papers, not sources. I can do that. I can gain these skills. I can do that. So I applied for master's program in New York, got in. I was like, woo, see, meant to be I'm going to New York. Yeah, don't ask me what preparations were made. Don't ask me <laughs> money saved. Don't ask me. They say God protects babies and fools. Protected my fool ass, okay? So I <laughs> so got there, you know, I quit my job. We moved out of the apartment. I took my, my then boyfriend who we had only been dating for like a year and he moved with me to, to New York, to New York. Okay. So just understand that God was looking out for my ass. So yeah. I got there and just nothing was the way I imagined it. First of all, mm. I did not live in New York. I lived in New Jersey, sleeping on a couch <laughs> that we paid money to rent. Okay. We paid money to rent sleeping on a couch until we moved into the room because people happened to move out. It was a whole thing. And I was just so unhappy. I was miserable. Oh, I was miserable. It was one of the most miserable times in my entire life. Uh, my relationship was stretched thin because he was putting up with me. I'm miserable. I'm just like, nothing is the way that I want it to be. Um, and so I had to take out loans, of course, because I went to undergrad. I, undergrad was fully paid for by Florida Bright Futures, all that good stuff. So I had no student loans. So whenever people would be like, rah, student loans, I was like, that's unfortunate, but I didn't have mm. it. So I took out loans. So I call it the $50,000 degree because that at this point with interest, that is what I owe for that mm. damn degree. It was like an 18 month program. So mm. not being able to just shuck the idea of what my life was supposed to look like and what it was supposed to be like and what it was supposed to feel like 
Yeah. Because I was impatient and I wasn't willing to like dig in and do some work because writing is like, it's long-term work. Like you have to be, you really have to be like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do and I love doing it and I'm going to keep working at it even if nothing comes from it. Like Toni mm. Morrison published The Blue when she was 38. There's a writer who just published a book, Robert Jones, who just published a book um, called The Prophets that I'm really eager to read. He's 50. It took him 14 years to write that book. He said mm. one because he was like scared, but also just like all the different things. So it takes time. And I just wasn't in a place where I, where I was prepared for that. Um, so I was impatient and I was like, no, I'm just gonna like do something now. So that was my, yeah. you know, $50,000 uh, $50, dilemma. So I always, <laughs> and to, to make matters worse. Yeah, so to make matters worse, I always, my husband and I always joke about the, the degree itself. Like, it's funny how ego will have your ass set up because ego will be like, oh, you need this shiny thing and it needs to look like this and it needs to look like that. And then the gifts that it'll give you will be like trash. So like, I have this lovely, you know, diploma from UF that's like all old fashioned. It's on this nice, beautiful paper and there's like a gold seal embossed on it. Yeah. Sorry, sorry if anybody from my damn grad school is watching, but sorry, but that degree is not, it's not, the, the diploma itself literally does not even look like a fraction of what like my UF diploma looks like. So it's just like, <laughs> look at what $50,000 got you, nothing, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. absolutely nothing. So yeah. all of that is to say that you really, what I have learned in the last few years, particularly after having children, because that is what humbled me and sat my ass down because mm. I don't, I don't think, I don't know what else would have happened that would have just forced me to sit still and reckon with myself like I don't know what else would have happened um so I have just learned that patience is truly and utterly the key and I learned also that patience is not literally just like oh well I'll just sit around and do nothing but it's literally like the definition of it is to remain still without complaint without like all these so it's not like well, I'm just going to sit still, but I'm upset. It's literally like, be grateful for where you are and just be grounded. Don't complain. And that, you know, and again, Mercury retrograde is not going to get me. That's not to say just suck all your feelings down. Like it's fine, right. fine. Yeah. but just to really be grateful for where you're at yeah, and to just know that what you need will present itself as long as you are doing that work to really get yourself in a place where you're centered so you can you can hear it and understand it when it comes. Because mm. impatience is not gonna get you anything. Like mm -mm. being concerned with what your life should look like, mm -hmm. it's not gonna get you anything. Like you're gonna mm -hmm. look up and be like, wow, like that, there was no, what was the point? And there's, a, and I think there's a point, there's a point to everything. Like you can take you could take, you know, from everything, you can gain experience, you can get all of these things, but I mean, just, just be patient to answer yeah. the question, like be patient, <laughs> really ground yourself and really just be, just be in a place where you can be like receptive. Don't have mm. your ego have you out here looking crazy because it will, yeah. it will, so. Yeah.
Sorry, I didn't mean to go on. That was a little bit of no, no. That I mean, that it's a big question. It, that this shit's real. Mm. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> I didn't come out into the desert to just like <laughs> sit and sit around. <laughs> like I had some shit to figure out. Okay. <laughs> no, but I I really appreciate that. I think uh, I I I hear you. I feel you. Having patience is is oh my gosh, it's such an important piece of this. Um, and it's not it's not going to look the same in every situation. It's not going to feel the same in every situation. Um, I one of the things that I love about doing pole is that it has taught me something that like sitting in meditation could not. Um, like I had to learn <clears throat> presence through pole because mm. and if, if I if I start to think of other things, if I get impatient with myself, then I'll injure myself. I have injured myself. I will fall. I will slip. I will, you know, it's like something I immediately I get the consequence of my right. impatience. Yeah. And that fortunately, I mean, it's not foolproof. I fail all the time. But I'm able to apply that in other situations. Like, okay, this is what my impatience is 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 feeling like in this situation. Like, this is me not just sitting in um, whatever process or action I'm trying to do. This is what <laughs> this process feels like, <laughs> and and inevitably that reward or that end it it comes. Yeah. Um, but you have to, you just have to, you have to know that it's going to come because that mm. helps, that helps you sit with where you are. Like yeah. you just have to, and I've, I've done a lot of work too on just releasing your hold on that expectation of the outcome. Like mm -hmm. we clutch onto that for dear life. And it's just like, you're <laughs> missing everything because you're yeah. just, clutched onto this like yeah. like it has to be like this it has to be like this frequently it won't be like that like it's just it, it just won't so just nope. release it and just focus on where you're at and that has helped me be able to like you said like I can identify okay this feeling is happening because I'm feeling this and that was something I could not do before like mm. Now it's like I am both experiencing my feelings, but also seeing them. Whereas before it was just complete feeling. Like yeah. I'm, I'm spiraling and I can't figure out what's going on. My whole mood is shot. My day yeah. is ruined and I can't yeah. figure it out. And now I can be like, okay, this thing happened. This is causing me to feel this thing. Mm -hmm. And so this is typically where my brain will do this, but now I can choose to do this instead. And that has like changed my entire life. Like it's crazy. Like I can't even <clears throat> describe the tangible and intangible ways that has changed my life. But I just, I'm like, does everybody do this? I'm like, right. I because if right. not, because I was struggling before and I didn't even realize that I was struggling, but it was like drowning in emotion all of the time and having no way to you know, balance it, no way to pull your stuff. Out. It's like, but then that's when you like, you have to rely on like your partner to pull you out or something like yes. that. Hopefully <clears throat> therapist, but you know. Right. Yeah. And, and if 
I hope this isn't offensive. I, I don't, <laughs> you don't remind me of my dog, but I want to use, the, <laughs> analogize what you're saying to something that my dog does. <laughs> just all of a sudden I was thinking if somebody else was about to use this example, it might be really disrespectful. <laughs> No, you're you're good. You're good. Oh I'm not offended. <laughs> I just feel like as many examples of this and analogies are are helpful to folks, and and which mm -hmm. is why like I want to have so many of these conversations, and I enjoy them so much because I'm seeing these from different perspectives. And mm -hmm. so, whether or not, well, no. So what my dog does is he has really high car anxiety, and so having him in the car is just a pain in the ass. Um, he freaks out, and so I know I imagine this isn't exactly what's going on in his head, but um, to us as outsiders, as the non-dogs, the resident humans in the vehicle, you know, him like making all this noise, all this noise, running back and forth before I had the thing to latch him into the car. Um, he was just freaking out. Oh my God, we're going to get into an accident. You see that car there? Oh my God, nobody's there. Where you all are strapped in and I'm not, and this is going to be crazy. And I'm going to, Melly, do you know the other dog? Melly, do you know that we're going to die? We're going to die in this car. We're going to die. Oh my God, now we're stopped. Now we're stopped. Now we're waiting for a car. Did you see that? So it's like, he does this. He's like spiraling, totally spiraling yep. out. But to us, the yeah. outsiders, mm -hmm. we're fine. We yep. know that we're safe. We are are strapped in, we see what direction we're going, we see that we know the directions and we're able to witness that that response isn't really appropriate in this situation. And for, so, for anybody, whether you have a partner, no, if you have a partner, hopefully that person, your relationship is healthy enough where that person can act as some kind of mirror yeah. Um, whatever your relationship is, if it's a guide or just something, some kind of perspective. But if you don't have that, that's what therapists are for. Yep. <laughs> what you're paying them to do is tell you what is actually going on in your vehicle. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> it's something like real, like this is what's actually happening. Like yeah. everything, everything in here is literally just fear, projection, doubt. It feels real as hell, but it's not. Like this, this is the real thing. Like, yeah. and being able, you know, being able to like connect to that is just, it is, it is life-saving because, you know, yeah. and I imagine that, you know, like I will often, you know, say like to my husband, I'm just like, you know, if I, like I have, I consider myself, you know, very much a critical thinker. I have, I guess I always, I always say highly functioning, but at what cost? Like mm. very highly functioning can function through like anxiety and all sort of things. And I'm just like, there are people who cannot literally cannot do that. So I'm just like, what is it like for somebody who is like, I am losing my shit because I just like, I can't, I cannot push through this. Like yeah. I can't work through it. I can't push yeah. through it. And smile my way through it. I can't do any of that. So, you know, like being able to get a person, a therapist, you know, if you already have a partner or a friend or just somebody who can be that anchor to like, hey, you, you know, you're feeling all of these things, but this is like what's really in front of you. So you can like be able to identify like, okay, yes, I'm having these feelings, but it's my brain it's just, it's my brain doing what my brain does, which your brain is going to try to keep you safe. And what is safe, mm -hmm. what's familiar. So mm -hmm. misery is familiar. 
That's what your brain's gonna, your brain's like, hey, like, this is what we know. Like, I'm giving you what we know. So, and again, that's why like trying to release yourself from these belief systems and things like that. That's why it feels like death because you're just like, well, I'm not safe now because Mm -hmm. I, I I I don't know any of this. Like, I can't be safe in this even if it literally is the safe option. Like, if I could go back to school, I might be a psychotherapist, but. <laughs> I, I, I might, but, uh, you know, that 50 yeah. grand is already uh, it's, uh, sitting there. So I um, think I'm okay. <laughs> Final thoughts. Your favorite book right now. Um, and if your favorite book of all time, and if you have any book recommendations for people, for people's growth. Hey, um, let's see, favorite book right now. Um, this is hard, but questions are so hard, but I love them. Um, oh, you can just say what, what you, all the things you're reading right now. <laughs> uh, I have like five books in queue that I'm waiting to get from the library. Um, oh but I'm currently, <laughs> that's literally how it always is. I'm like, oh, I could get that one. No, I'm like, oh, I'll get that one too. So it's always like that. Um, I just, I'm reading right now, I'm reading Jasmine Ward, which that is like number one suggestion. If you've never read Jasmine Ward's work, read her. She is a god among mere mortals. I love Jasmine Ward. The way that she, she's really instructive. Um, She's from Mississippi. So the way that she writes about Mississippi is just very instructive for me as a Floridian who wants to write about Florida and who does write about Florida. Um, And her characters are just very rich and, and not rich in a sense of monetary, but rich in a sense of, you know, just character and they're just real people. So I love Jasmine Ward. I'm currently reading her debut novel, Where the Line Bleeds for um, a book club. Um, but I've read Salvage the Bones. She has a memoir, um, Men We Reaped. It just, she's an excellent, she wrote a piece in um, Vanity Fair uh, last year. She lost her husband to COVID. And so she wrote a piece about that as well as just the protests and things that were happening, you know, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. So it was just an amazing piece of just very vulnerable work. Um, so Jasmine Ward, absolutely like read her, read everything that she writes. Uh, she's amazing. Um, Kiese Lehman is another Mississippi writer. Just read, just read them, uh, for sure. Um, so I'm reading her work right now. Um, favorite book of all time. That's hard (laughs) because I love books, but my go-to, my go-to always is Toni Morrison's Beloved, um, that actually I'm gonna say two actually because I always leave off the second one. So between Toni Morrison's Beloved and Eric Jerome Dickey who recently passed, um, Between Lovers. Um, so those two are probably my favorite books of all time because I just reread Between Lovers and I probably do to reread Beloved. And there are a number of books that are like, you know, also like 1984, like, oh God, I love 1984. But um, both of Beloved and Between Lovers changed who I am. They changed who I would become. Um, When I read, I can't remember which one I read first. I probably read both of them when I was around 15 or so. And that was right when 
I was, I, I wanted to be a doctor for actually like the first, maybe like eh, 15 years of my life. I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, no real reason why I just, I just was like, oh, medicine's kind of cool. And, um, <laughs> but it wasn't like, oh, I'm so passionate. I want to be a doctor. It wasn't bad. So around 15, I was volunteering in my pediatrician's office. It was very boring. Um, I was doing that and I read probably Between Lovers and Beloved for the first time. And so with Between Lovers, it was the content. Shout out to my parents, first of all, because they let me read very widely. They were not like, this is an adult book. They've never told say, me. My mom like Eric Jerome Dickey. <laughs> everybody, when he passed, everybody was sharing stories and they're just like, I don't even know where I got my hands on. Like, I think my mom had it. Like, it was not content for a 15 year old. No. But I was able to just read. Like, I, whatever I could get my hands on, I was allowed to read. Nobody ever checked, like, what I was reading. Praises be, because that is, that is what opened me up as a human and just makes yeah. me who I am. So the content was not necessary. It wasn't for a 15 year old, I would say your average 15 year old, but I have never been average. And I mean that in the sense of like, I don't know why I came to earth with whatever I was programmed with, but I did. So I just, that story was just so rich and just so full of just these different emotions and just, it, it changed like, it, it changed me somehow. Um, like I could really see myself in like all of the characters, really not just one of them, but like all three of kind of the main characters, like I could see bits and pieces of myself in them. And that's not something that usually happens. Like if I read, you know, like I never really read like young adults that like, I just didn't, it wasn't really my thing, but I could like see myself in them. Um, and then also I have an enduring love for California. I've never been there, but I feel I'm destined to get there. So I have always felt this way. And that book like cemented it, I was like, I could, yes, I can see this. So Between Lovers by Eric Drum Dickey and then Beloved by Toni Morrison. And um, that book just, it really like blew the door off of just like everything. Like I just read and I'm like, like a, a person like wrote this, like mm. she wrote this. Like mm. that was the, that was like the time, the first time I was like, how? Like, I need to do that. Like, whatever the fuck just happened to me when I read this, that's what I need to do. Like, that's what I want to spend the rest of my life doing to other people. Because yeah. I think a lot of times, and, you know, at this point, a lot has been said about, like, the way that we approach the narratives of, you know, enslaved people and how they are treated as just this huge monolith and how you it's very easy in the way that we are taught, whatever we're taught, if we're taught anything at all, mm -hmm. the ways that we're taught about it, it's very easy to just imagine just this big block of blackness, like mm -hmm. from you know enslavement to like the civil rights movement, it's just like a big block of blackness and you have like a couple like little stars here and there, mm -hmm. but you forget like these were people, like they have wants, desires, loves you know whole triumphs trauma what's that whole ass people whole ass people like that's that you know so 
reading that and just like when she, you know, is describing like some of the instruments of torture that were used and things like that, like it's, it takes it from the place of like, oh, a museum where you see like these shackles on the wall and you're, and now it's on a human and it just, it brings, it bridges that and it connects it. And you're just like, holy shit, you know, like, cause you, you know that, but then you like know it, you feel it, like you see it. Um, and that story was just so like spooky and just like, I remember, I always remember sitting in my room in broad daylight and like shivers running down my spine just because I was like, whoo, I was like, oh my God. So I'm like, whatever, however you can do that on paper, that's what I need to do. So those two books for sure, favorite of all time. I will always revisit them. And always them. I love them. Uh, and for growth, um, God, there's so many books you could read for growth. One of my favorites that I always, re I've been recommending, I've recommended it to like five people now at this point, um, is there is a book, um, do I have it on the shelf? Um, I don't know if I do, but there is a book called, I don't have it out here, but children of, um, adult children of emotionally immature parents. That Those book. Children of emotionally immature parents. Yes. That book is just so instructive because it really helps, especially for, and all of us probably have, you know, different wounds and things that we have from like, how we were parented and those sorts of things. And it just really is very instructive to help you be able to see your parents as the imperfect people that they were and to literally like drive home the message that they literally were just doing the best that they could. And it doesn't mean that you have to be like happy with it or okay with it. It doesn't mean that that erases how you feel or erases your trauma or anything like that. But they were the same way that we're just doing the best that we can do mm -hmm. with the tools that they had they were just doing the best that they could do. Um, so that book, I I have literally been like, oh, if like a friend's like, oh, parents, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hey, have you read this book? I'm like, if not. <laughs> so that, that book for growth, if you've got like parent, you know, parent things or whatever going on or residual feelings, like that book for sure, I would pick that up, so. That's my book plug for the day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for asking. I love talking about books. <laughs> I, I, I've started purchasing some books, some, some favorites and then some new things. So <laughs> we, were, um, we were actually joking, um, my boyfriend and I, because I got this one and I didn't realize I had ordered the hard copy, the hard cover. He's like, oh, look at you being all fancy. Right. <laughs> Build a proper library. <laughs> That's the sign that like, oh, a hardcover. Oh, it's like luxury. Yes. <laughs> it is a nice hardcover, though. <laughs> okay. Listen, I love a good hardcover. I'm like, oh, this is nice. I'm like, okay. So. Yes. <laughs> there, uh, is there anything else you would like to share or anything else you'd like to say um, since you have this space? No, this was really, really fun. Um, and I just, I'm just, I'm grateful. 
I'm really grateful. It's really nice to be thought of and to have somebody want to hear, you know, what goes on inside my brain. Um, that's really, you know, that's really cool. There's a lot of <laughs> brain. So, you know, I don't yeah. write about all of it. I write about some of it, but there's a lot that goes on in here. So I hope that through my writing, I'll be able to kind of continue these types of conversations and just really, you know, I, my, my work and I want my work in my life to be about giving honor to those who came before me and what came before me. Uh, so that's just really, really important to me. So, um, you know, hopefully I have done that and hopefully I'll continue to do it, but yeah. Indeed.